Congregation, this afternoon we deal with Lord's Day 3 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 3. And there we confess from God's holy word the following. We had just confessed in Lord's Day 2 that we cannot keep God's law perfectly. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No. On the contrary, God created man good and in his image, that is in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly know God, his creator, hardly love him, and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. From where then did man's depraved nature come? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve in paradise, for there our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. So far, our confession. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, boys and girls who belong to the Lord. We all have that sometimes, don't we, that we feel guilty about something that we have done wrong. We have failed in something or so. We feel guilty about it. Should have done that. Should not have done this. As long as our conscience is still active... We all have that at times, don't we? Maybe sometimes just a twinge of uh, bad conscience. Sometimes heavy. Heavy feeling of guilt. Even neurotic, maybe, out of proportion to what we did so that it affects our thinking and our actions. Sometimes... The guilt feeling is soon over and forgotten. Well, all those feelings of guilt, however big or small they may be, they don't constitute, necessarily constitute knowing how great our sins and misery are before God. Think of, you can think of Saul who once felt bad about pursuing David. He said to David, you are more righteous than I am, called him his son. But soon after, he was pursuing David again. Think of Judas. You know, he said, after he had betrayed the Lord and the Lord had been crucified, he said, I have sinned, done wrong. Regretted what he had done, but he didn't really know his real guilt before God or he would have turned to Christ. No, congregation, we know our sin and guilt only from God, from his law, and from the Bible. And if we know it from there, it brings us to seek our deliverance outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. 
And that, in turn, will bring us to real thankfulness for Christ's deliverance, too. Knowing how great your sins and misery are, knowing our guilt before God belongs with belonging to Jesus Christ. Nobody can really end up in heaven without knowledge of sins and misery, of his sins and misery. And that's more than just feeling guilty sometimes. It can maybe start with feeling guilty. But it's different. It, it goes much deeper. It's more constant. Think of David. Psalm 51 verse 3. There, there he comes to it too. And he says, For I acknowledge my transgression... And my sin is always before me. Didn't realize, he didn't just know this one sin, he acknowledged this one sin, but all his transgressions. And his sin was always before him. He knew his sins and misery. And that's what the knowledge of real guilt is for believers. And then you want your guilt pointed out to you. You don't want to avoid it. You don't want to deny it. You don't want to play it down. No, you want to know it. Lord, show me how bad it is with me. And believers want to know their guilt because of their sins because it shows them how blessed they are with the forgiving grace of God in Jesus Christ. And I proclaim to you what we confess from the Bible, Lord's Day 3, this afternoon with this theme, our guilt before God for which Christ made atonement. We see its, its depth, its sharpness, and its breadth. First of all, its depth. What is the depth of our guilt before God? David uh, came to, to realize something of that when he was confronted by his sin with Bathsheba. He says in Psalm 51, he says in verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And we call that original sin. Like water saturates every part of a sponge when it's held in water. So every part of our lives is affected by sin right from the beginning of our lives already even before birth in our mother's womb, were guilty before God from conception. And when the prophet Nathan showed David his sin, he not only came to see that one sin he had committed before God then, no, he understood then that his sin and sinful desires that led to that went all the way back to his conception and birth. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba, Later, he had murdered her husband, Uriah. And then twice sin had spouted up in his life. Like when somebody's drilling for oil. And all at once, it gushes up in a gusher. And when it gushes up like that, you know there's a whole oil field underneath. So with sin... When you acknowledge a sin you committed, 
that's like a gusher on an oil field, you realize then there's a whole oil field beneath. There's a whole field of sin beneath inside you. Our sins of thought, word, or deed are not stains caused from outside ourselves which can simply be wiped away like dirt on a car. No, our our sins come from within us. They boil up from our hearts. They spout up to the surface and can do so at any time. And it's not something foreign to us, sin is. It's part and parcel of us. Comes out of us because it's inside us. And it it remains inside us. It's been there right from the beginning of our lives and it come, can spout to the surface at any time. And yes, you might ask then, can I help it that I'm like that? That, I, that I'm that way? Why am I like that anyway? Well, we all know the answer to that. We confess it in Question and answer seven of Lord's Day three. It's because of the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve in paradise. There, the nature of the whole human race, our nature too, became so corrupt that we're all conceived and born in sin. We gave ourselves up to Satan there and he allowed ourselves to be injected with his wickedness. And now you might might be thinking, but I wasn't there in the beginning. Adam and Eve listened to Satan and sin. Why do I have to be born in sin and guilty before God right from the beginning of my life before I even consciously can do anything? Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we have kind of all kinds of questions about this. But the Bible tells us this and then we experience that every day too, don't we? We know what is right. We don't do it, as the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 7. God has every right to our love and obedience. We don't give it to him constantly every day. We agree with Adam and Eve's choice. And we listen to Satan too. And we blame others like they did. We would have done exactly the same thing as our first parents did. Oh God, you are holy and good and I am corrupt against you. You only have I sinned. I'm guilty of not giving you what you as my God and maker have a right to from me. I don't meet meet your purpose with me at all. I fail to meet what you want from me every day again. We experience that. And see, knowing how deep your guilt before God is, is like... That, that, that's something that cries out for salvation and forgiveness then. Understanding the depth of your guilt before God pushes you to the cross of Christ. Again and again. The river of your guilt pushes you toward the cross. And the deeper that river is, the harder it pushes pushes you towards that cross of Christ. 
Because then you realize there is no other way to deal with my guilt before God. You can't gloss over it. You can't say that from now on you're going to do better because even if you'd be perfect from today on, that wouldn't remove your past sin and the sin in which you were conceived and born. No, the only way for you, the only thing that can save you from eternal condemnation is forgiveness. And how good it is then that we belong to Jesus Christ. The Savior. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the operation of the Holy Spirit without sin, right from conception already. And so we can confess, Lord's Day 14, that He with His innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born covers it completely. And what's covered can't be seen anymore. God doesn't see it anymore, any longer. So true knowledge of and acceptance of our guilt before God pushes us to Jesus Christ to whom we belong. Do you experience that, congregation, being pushed to Jesus Christ? That's the only way. When you, when you fell into a certain sin, did you accept that, that that sin is part of your being? That it lives inside you? And did you realize then how guilty before God you are in yourself and that only the gracious forgiveness of Christ can make things right again? And did that push you to him then as your only hope and salvation? See, the, the, the trouble is that our, the acceptance of our guilt before God can so easily become shallow. You know, that's not good. It, it drives you away from Christ then instead of being drawn to him. And so many have lost Christ because they refuse to acknowledge their sinfulness and guilt before God. That's why they lost him. So the knowledge of our guilt before God has to grow deeper and deeper our whole life long. And we won't grow in that unless we also open God's word and humbly pray to God every day. Even when in our hearts, you know, when we're at school or at work, we pray, Lord, let your spirit teach me my sin so that I acknowledge the depth of my guilt and so I can live with it for today. Show me that it, it wasn't just a transgression here and there, but I was conceived and born in it. And forgive me in Jesus Christ, whose life from his holy conception to his death atones for me, covers the sin in which I was born and lived. Congregation, do, do you experience that growth in your life? That being pushed ever and again to your Savior Jesus Christ because of the knowledge of your sin? You need to be pushed there. 
come to the, the second point, the sharpness. Sharpness of our guilt before God. And that comes to the four in question and answer eight of Lord's Day 3. How bad is it? Is that being conceived and born in sin? How corrupt are we really? And again, this is not something we can learn from our reason or from other people, watching other people, thinking about ourselves. No, this is something God himself has to tell us in the Bible because by nature, we're all in denial. And we confess from the word of God that of ourselves, we're totally unable to do any good. That's what it says there. Totally unable to do any good. All we like sheep have gone astray. This is the prophet Isaiah. Now we have to be careful that we understand that correctly, of course. The good here means the good before God. Completely out of love for God. Fully out of thankfulness to God. Totally done for his honor and glory. And completely focused on the good of my neighbor, even if I find him or her irritating and frustrating. That's the good that the catechism speaks about here. And we're totally unable, unable by nature to do that good. Or you can still do worthy and useful and helpful things. You can do those things which the gift, with the gifts and the talents God has given you. He made you the way you are with the abilities you have, the things you're good at, and the things you're not so good at, the inabilities you have. God made you that way. Also, your physical appearance, eyes, hair, physique, they're all, it's all from him, your physical abilities and inabilities too. What you're capable of, not capable of, that's all given by God who made you the way you are. And by the way, to confess that helps you deal with inferiority feelings. The thought that you're any less than, than somebody else. No, God made you as you are. Made you unique with your abilities in certain things and your inabilities in other areas of life. So if you can't achieve what somebody else can in this or that, that doesn't have to make you ashamed. God doesn't give me or gave me less ability in the area of this uh, uh, area of life and if he gave you less ability, that's how he wanted it. Or more ability, it's nothing to boast about, that's from God. That was all for his purpose. The thing is, though, God wants us with all our abilities and inabilities to, and that doesn't, it doesn't matter, ability or, or not ability, what he wants from us is to love him above all and our neighbor as ourselves in whatever. We can't do that. Totally unable to do any good that's truly good before God because that requires total love and devotion toward him and total love and devotion toward our neighbor. We're like the fish that can't live out of, out of the water on the land. It doesn't matter whether a fish is big or small, strong or weak, doesn't matter if you feed it a lot or little, it makes no difference. That fish cannot live on land, doesn't even want to live on land. 
In order to do that, that fish would need to, to have new organs, lungs instead of gills and so on. When you catch a fish, it jumps all over, wants to get back in the water. Well, we're unable to love God, serve Him, revere Him, trust Him, be devoted to Him as He wants. If someone wants to pull us up toward Him, we jump around, we resist that. We don't want to go there to Him out of ourselves. We want to be left alone in the lake of sin. That's where we feel at home. That's how sharp our guilt before God is and our sin after the fall of ourselves, enemies of God, resistant to his salvation even. Totally unable to do any good. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you need to be born anew. Born from above. It's like starting life all over again. Nicodemus figured he'd done a lot for God already. The pile of good works. And we can think along similar lines. Hey, so easily done so much for the Lord, for the church, for the neighbor. Didn't do a lot of things which were wrong. Didn't curse, didn't lie, didn't steal and so on. Big pile of good things. But that counts for us today too. Unless we are born again, we will not see the kingdom of God. Because we're totally unable of ourselves to do any good. Totally unable to love and fear and serve God and love our neighbor as God wants. And congregation, you can have two reactions to that that can depress you. Make up Make you want to throw up your hands and say, well, well, if I can't do anything good in God's eyes anyway, might as well give up right now and do whatever. Or you could say with the Apostle Paul, Romans 7, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then you accept how much you need Christ. And how blessed you are that you belong to him by faith. That's in fact how the Lord Jesus Christ gives us rebirth and new life by his spirit. Regenerates us. That's how he pushes us to himself more and more. That's how he works new life in us. The determination to love God and our neighbor. That's rebirth, regeneration by the spirit of God as mentioned in Lord's Day 3. Unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. There's no basis for that rebirth in ourselves. By nature, we're not going to seek God. We're unable and unwilling to even do that. Instead, we want to stay in the water of sin and death. That's where by nature we feel at home. But God gave us rebirth. Because he set his heart on us. Because... His son gave himself for us and worked in us with his spirit to push us to himself. And that all comes from him because by nature we're totally unable to do any good. 
You see something of the sharpness of our, our sinfulness and guilt before God? Brothers and sisters, boys and girls too. We have to see and accept our own inability to please God and not to play that down. Otherwise, we're going to lose our amazement at God's grace and then it's not so amazing anymore. Otherwise, we think we even have a right to enter the kingdom of heaven out of ourselves because of who we are, because of what we accomplished of ourselves totally unable. We would never have sought our Savior or called out to him for mercy or loved him or believed in him out of ourselves No, instead, we would have run and hid ourselves from him like Adam and Eve did in the garden if God hadn't sought us out with his spirit. And we'd still run away from him today if the spirit wasn't there to hold on to us. That's that's the gospel. That's the good news, congregation. That God begins. Because what kind of people enter his kingdom, not those who are inclined to look for it, those who seek him, those who desire to enter that kingdom. No, there is nobody like that at all. That's not like we are at all, even from birth. Only those who have been brought by the Spirit to know themselves totally unable to do any good and who look to Christ alone. They only will enter that kingdom. Only people who truly confess their guilt and inability before God as sharply as that's outlined in Lord's Day 3. Only they will enter the kingdom of God. We come to the last part of the sermon this afternoon, the breadth of our guilt before God. Congregation, unfortunately, we're not finished looking at our guilt before God yet. Because our sinful nature has another aspect to it. We're not only totally unable to do any good, as we confess in Lord's Day 3. The last question. We're also inclined to all evil. Totally unable to do any good. Inclined to do all evil. Now you can think here of a car on the side of a hill in neutral, nobody in it. That car is going to roll downhill. It wants to. Inclined to all evil. All evil. We're not only inclined to certain sins which we individually have a weakness for. No. All evil. All kinds of evil. Every one of us. The full breadth of the Ten Commandments. We're inclined to break all of them. All of us. Inclined to worship another God. Inclined to worship as I want. Inclined to take God's name in vain. Inclined to be bored on the Sabbath and to desecrate that day. Inclined to dishonor and disobey my parents and all in authority over me. Inclined to hate and kill. Inclined to sexual impurity. Inclined to steal and to lie. Inclined to covet. 
what others are and have. But thanks be to God, he so governs my heart and life by means of circumstance, by means of my conscience, and by means of his grace that I don't always do that. God has, as it were, God pulls the handbrake on that car on the hill. But that inclination remains. It's constantly there in me. If God would let that hand break down, there I'd go. I'd roll, most certainly roll downhill. If he, if he let that hand break go in a certain situation, I'd most certainly end up sinning against him. So congregation, when you read in the paper or on the internet or here on the news, mother murders baby, man robs store, teen raped by man, manager defrauds company of millions, teenager leaves country to join ISIS. What do you think? What do you think then? Do you think, how could they? I can't understand how those people could do that. They act as if they've gone crazy nowadays. If you think that, you don't understand yourself, your own sinfulness and your guilt before God. No, people who know their own guilt and sinfulness before God, they they read that and then they say, there but for the grace of God go I. If my life had gone the same way as his or her life had gone, same dysfunctional upbringing, same abusive surroundings, same bad relationships. I would have been doing the same things if God didn't prevent that, put his hand on the handbrake. Lord, what a miracle. I'm not listed under all the court cases in the newspaper or shown under arrest on the news and television because of myself. I'm inclined to all evil. All evil. My urges and outbursts sometimes show that. It's in me, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for keeping me from those sins. Thank you for your hand on the handbrake of my life. So being regenerated by the Spirit of God doesn't take away the inclination to all evil. doesn't take that away. That's how we sit here too. Inclined to all evil. But something new has come about here in us, namely the love of God. Love. Love and the desire to fight against sin. And and the result is then you have those two contrasting forces in your life. On the one hand, inclined to all sin. And on the other hand, the spirit working in you, that desire to hate evil and do good. Paul calls it spirit and flesh, which are always at war in us. And it's important that we're aware of that so that we're careful not to get caught in sin. Because young people today, you sometimes like to spend an evening out, you know, take in a movie, get together for a few beers maybe or watch a football game with a few drinks 
join a party with a few co-workers where the reefer is passed around and lots of flirting going on with the co-workers. And you as a young person are invited to join in with that. And you think, you know that it's that way. And you think, oh, I, I, can, I can take that. I won't, I won't become addicted. I won't become an alcoholic. I won't end up in a sexual relationship. I won't be affected by the sex and violence in the movie I'm seeing. I know how far I can go. I can control myself. If that is how you think, you don't know yourself. You do not know yourself. You do not know how inclined to all evil you really are as confessed in Lord's Day 3. Then you're overestimating yourself. You think you can go without God's hand on the handbrake. No, if you truly know yourself, know your sinfulness and your guilt before God and yourself, You'd learn to take your distance from what isn't godly and holy. You'd know yourself as flammable as gasoline, as it were, so you'd stay away from anything that sends out sparks of sin. You'd stay away from wherever you couldn't pray beforehand that you go to pray for a blessing on them. But that doesn't only count for young people. That doesn't just count for young people here for you. No, We keep that inclination to all evil in us until we leave this life. So that applies to the older ones here too. And here you can think of Noah. You know, Noah celebrated his 600th birthday on the ark in the time of the flood. That righteous man. And not long afterwards, he lay naked in his tent, completely drunk. 600 years old. Think of David, the king who loved God so much. Being so empowered by God that he overcame Goliath and eventually overcame all his enemies. And he later fell, ended up falling into sexual sin, and later still, he wanted to know how many soldiers he had in Israel, and he numbered the people. Even if you have lived close to the Lord for many years, don't assume that you're therefore immune to sin. Watch and pray, said the Lord, that you don't come into temptation. See, knowledge of your sinfulness and your vulnerability to sin, you know, that that can weaken, can weaken in you. And then you become overconfident in yourself. I can handle that. You think it's normal that you believe and that you live decently and that you're less, but then you're, you're less aware of how inclined to sin you really are. No, brothers and sisters, we're all inclined to all evil. We have to grow in our awareness of that, our sensitivity to ourselves, so that when we read or hear about evil things on the news, we think, you know, that could have been me. That's the way I am too. And knowing how weak you are, 
you would pray every morning, Lord, Lord, you know how prone I am to all evil. Keep me from sin today. Hold on to me. And in the evening, you would give thanks to God. Forgive my sins that I committed and thank you for the evil I didn't do. Thank you that I still love you tonight, Lord. Yes, congregation, the, the life of the regenerated believers, believers is, it's a battlefield. It's a battlefield. Inclined to all evil, at the same time, though, wanting to do good. Two opposing forces in your life, inclined to hate God and my neighbor, at the same time wanting to love God and the neighbor more and more. And that battle remains. But it's a good battle because it makes you long for the complete victory at the end. Christ obtained a complete victory. We want to take hold of that. It makes you long for that victory. And that's the best evidence that you do know your sinfulness and your guilt before God. When you, you wish you were done with that battle. And you will be done with it all then too. When you leave this life or when the Lord Jesus returns in glory, whichever comes first, then your sinful nature will be burned away forever. And in the meantime, however, as we confess Article 15, Belgic Confession, the awareness of our corruption makes believers often groan as they eagerly wait to be delivered from this body of death. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, not an easy message to accept. Not an easy confession to make. But we pray that we may have been encouraged by that message of our own guilt and sinfulness before you so that we don't look for redemption or renewal in ourselves, that we, we don't take confidence in our own abilities, but that we look for all that in your grace in Jesus Christ alone. Grant that we may have seen again in the light of our guilt and helplessness how awesome your grace is and how good it is to belong to Christ with body and soul in life and death. Work in us the miracle of regeneration by your Spirit so that we embrace him in faith more and more, live for him too. In his name we pray. Amen.